Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. I've got a really special guest for us this week. Amy Radin is kind of one of those folks that you meet and like you immediately just want to just spend hours and hours with her because she's done so many cool things and amazing things in her life. So she's an author. She's been at worked at major brands like Citigroup, like E-Trade, like AXA. She's on the board of directors for the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants. I'm not like, like the list can go on and on, but Amy, I, before we get into the show, like, thank you for joining us. This is going to be such a cool conversation. I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Great to be here. And thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the thing that we're going to really talk about today, folks, which is a really important topic, and a lot of the listeners on this, of this show are really interested in how do we get customer experience, not only sort of having it discussed at the CEO or maybe even at the founder level, but even at the board member level, so in the boardroom. And before we get into that topic, Amy, can you share just your background? Like you have, you've gone through this amazing journey, have have worked at very, very senior levels, obviously, and at very large organizations. So tell our listeners a little bit about that journey, because I know they'd love to hear it. Well, I'll, I'll hit the high points because a lot of stops along the way. But the first, the first chapter of my career, I was uh, worked for American Express as a direct marketer, you know, getting the mail out the door. And it was a fabulous place to be because it was in the days, American Express has always been a customer-led company mm-hmm. and knew about customer experience before that was even a buzzword. So a great place to start my career. I continued my career in the retail banking sector and led the digital transformation of the credit card business at City, which at that point mm-hmm. was a $5 billion P&L. So significant transformation, a lot of bad experience, ended up becoming City's first chief innovation officer and left there during the financial crisis. And after a few other roles in the corporate world at E-Trade, at AXA, I made a big career pivot, and I decided that given my expertise, which is all about how do you help companies drive these complex changes, whether it's around innovation, digital, customer experience, that I would really, that I wanted to use that expertise as an outsider coming in, as a board member, as an advisor, as the author of an award-winning book, The Changemaker Playbook, mm-hmm. so yep. reconstructed a portfolio and activities that let me bring my expertise to a lot of companies, whether they're startups or major global enterprises. Awesome. So awesome. That, by the way, in and of itself, and that pivot and creating that portfolio is, could be an entirely new show and, and would love <laughs> to dig in more there with you at some point. Let's talk a little bit about sort of when you think about organizations you've worked with, you're an advisor as well, right? We, you just mentioned that even outside of the yeah. book. What should be the board's role in understanding, driving, or even defining and co-defining with leadership the customer experience that they want to deliver? Is that, 
you know, how deep should boards go here? Right. So just as context, a couple of things to make clear about the board and the role of the board. The, the operating principle for a good board is noses in, fingers out. So boards are not operators, right? They, their role is to ensure that shareholder objectives are delivered upon and that as part of that, they focus on governance, on risk management, all kinds of risk management, obviously on results. Boards have historically been dominated by people with financial backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So it's only more recently that you'll find, and not terribly diverse, right? It's only, you'll, it's only in the last few years that you are seeing a really increased, really increased attention being paid to improving the diversity of the board, not mm-hmm. only in terms of gender, people of color, but also people with more diverse backgrounds. So you're starting to mm-hmm. see tech people on board, HR because of the concerns with talent and Mm -hmm, even marketing mm -hmm. people. So Mm -hmm. you have to keep in mind sort of the role of the board, what they are there to do, and who's in the room when you're thinking about customer experience. So Mm -hmm. I think that where CX comes in today, boards have traditionally, I think think a lot of people, and, and boards are no exception, will often equate customer experience with customer service or customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So it, even in the most well-run company, you'll find that what boards are hearing about in the dashboard, in the metrics that are reported to them, they'll get an MPS score. Or they'll mm-hmm. get a customer satisfaction score. And if things are tracking okay, that's sort of, okay, let's check that box, right? And the conversation often doesn't go deeper. I think I've certainly Mm -hmm. seen situations, boards will generally have some kind of an annual strategy meeting, um, at least with the CEO will will chair. And at that conversation, there may be more of a deep dive if the CEO puts it on the agenda, you know, puts a Mm -hmm. customer question Mm -hmm. um, on the Mm -hmm. agenda. So I think there's, needless to say, with, with that as context, I see a lot of room to amplify the conversation mm-hmm. about customer experience and really help connect directors, connect the dots between their oversight role and the things that are their primary concern. So how does customer experience connect to financial performance with risk management, with reputation, with regulatory concerns? I also see a huge role on the horizon as ESG environmental sustainability and governance mm-hmm. becomes a is really moving up the priority agenda mm-hmm. in in most boardrooms. Europe is further ahead, but the US will get there. There are many aspects of ESG that customer experience and employee experience can implement. So I see that really over the horizon mm-hmm. as a major opportunity for CX leaders to help directors. So you're definitely right in terms of Europe being further ahead on this than us in the States. The interesting thing is just, and I think the the pandemic accelerated a lot of this, is this sense of what is the company's purpose and what societal value are they creating and what are they doing to make the world a better place? And customers of those companies, how that impacts them and their 
propensity to buy more or increase the relationship. I think that intersection is really important, not explored enough, frankly. What advice then do you have, right? We've got chief customer experience officers or chief experience officers, chief customer officers, even like these roles are at some of our biggest companies now, right? McDonald's, Walmart, I mean, the li- mm-hmm. you know, major airlines, the list goes on and on. What advice do you have for these individuals and maybe how to engage the board for success? I mean, you mentioned one way is being able to connect, well, not, I guess not only customer experience, but also employee experience on some level, connect that to financial results. But that's hard work. A lot of people still aren't doing that in the CX space. But like beyond even like, tell us a little bit, what would you, if you were sitting down with a CXO or a CCO, what would you advise them in terms of engaging the board? Yeah. Listen, you, you got to connect those, those dots. What gets measured gets done. And I'll tell you just as a little story that, you know, not exactly a sidebar, it's important. When I took over the leadership of digital transformation for City Cards, there were many, business was booming, right? Mm-hmm. We were doing great. But the CEO saw on the horizon, it was very obvious that we were <laughs> losing ground in digital. And so much of that is experience. There was a lot of skepticism about whether we had to really do anything. And this was back in 2000, 2001. So you got to really write, you really got to turn the, turn the pages back and think about there were people scratching their heads and saying like, well, why do we need to do this? Things are fine. And (laughs) what put us on the map, what really started to get us traction was my team built an incredibly close partnership with our decision analytics and risk management team, Mm. all the people who we needed to help us build, uh, create, test, and learn situations where we can actually measure and understand the impact. If you do this, that is what will happen to the levers of the P&L and the balance sheet Mm -hmm. that, that the CFO and the CEO and ultimately shareholders care about. And it feels grueling, but it's inevitable. If you want to really get attention and get the resources that mm-hmm. you deserve, so make that investment. Don't like stop deferring it. It is possible. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is you got to start thinking about the board as your customer. Mm. You know, so the reason I started this conversation, setting the context is. As a marketer, when I'm trying to accomplish a goal, I always think about, okay, well, who's my audience and what's their mindset? What are their needs? Mm -hmm. It's no different Mm -hmm. from the board. So you've got to understand what their goals are, what they're there to accomplish, what their role is, what are their needs, how do they operate? So make the effort to educate yourself on the role of a board and how they operate. Then think Mm -hmm. about how you can add value to solving their challenges and help them address some of their problems. So as I said, I see opportunities in risk mitigation, growth. I don't know too many companies that aren't thinking about you know, growth and they're under pressure to figure out how they're going to keep up with marketplace expectations. CX can bring a lot of value to that. So I think there's just almost endless opportunity. Start by understanding the board as your customer and what are their needs. You've got to have the CEO support, right? The CEO sure. controls the boardroom agenda. And so you're going to want to have the discussion with your CEO 
to understand what connections they see might exist to the board agenda or to start to influence that conversation if you think it's Mm -hmm. there. I just had a situation where I was working with a team that conducted a customer experience capabilities assessment for a major bank in the United Kingdom, and the work ended up being presented to the board. So it is becoming part of the discussion. You've got to meet Mm -hmm. them where they are and address their needs, which may be very different from the needs of your colleagues or other internal operators. They're, they're a very special group with very specific needs. Without a doubt. I love how you said noses and fingers out earlier as well, right? Like yeah. they, they should have access to this information. They should understand how it's impacting the business, the strategy, the you know, near-term and, and long-term for that matter. So important. And your point around just buy-in from the CEO is absolutely critical. I mean, so much of the work around customer and employee experience is top-down and bottoms-up. And I love that such a critical player in that, such a critical player in that. Yeah. If we can kind also, of flip that. Mind, yeah. I'll just say yeah. one other thing. Board, board members meet on extremely tight agendas, right? And they manage their time in the boardroom very mm-hmm. carefully. So whatever mm-hmm. you take to the board has to be incredibly concise and on point. They're not going to listen to a two-hour session on customer experience. It's going to be 30 minutes. And so you've got to really hit the nail on the head in a way that they say, wow, this is really important to my responsibility as a director. I want to know more about this. In a former life, Amy, I had a wish of bringing the board together and getting them into a design session a design thinking session actually yeah. and watching just ha- as observers and watching and having them observe how to use design thinking to solve problems, whether big or small in the, in the business. We never got there, but that was one of my goals is to be able to, we, we were successful in some ways, but that was sort of like the next thing for the next year is to be able to do that. It would have been a lot of fun. I think eye opening yeah. too for a lot of them. So yeah. And you if will we, find board members who have an interest in going further. A good board member will take the time to really learn how the business operates. Mm-hmm. They may go on a listening tour as part of their onboarding. And so mm-hmm. you'll see once you, you know, and that's another question to ask your CEO, who on the board do you think would be interested in this topic? And could I have a quick one-to-one conversation with mm-hmm. them to get their opinion? And if you've got a good relationship with the CEO and they see the value of what you're doing, they might make that introduction. And that could be very helpful to sort of scope out what's going on in the boardroom. Great advice. Great advice. Amy, if we turn around maybe the question, are there a couple things that perhaps boards or CEOs slash founders need to get ahead of in terms of customer employee experience over the next, let's say 12 to 24 months or so? You yeah. mentioned ESG yeah. is a big big one, obviously, but curious to see if there's any others on, on that list. Yeah. Well, I'd go back to, to ESG because I think that is a big one. And I think the place to start, because ESG right now is kind of this big monster, right? ESG. And especially in the U.S., what's getting the most attention is climate, where I think the E part, but the S and the mm-hmm. G are really important. So the where I would start is if you're not already familiar with them, just look up the United Nations SDGs. 
the Sustainable Development Goals, you can easily mm-hmm. find a ton of content on the SDGs just by doing a quick search. And if you go down the list, there are 17 of these SDGs that relate to mm-hmm. ESG. Sorry for the alphabet soup. And <laughs> boards and CEOs are looking at this list to start to establish some parameters and framework for like, well, how do we get our arms mm-hmm. around this and what really mm-hmm. matters? So there are things in there. there. There are SDGs about health and well-being, decent work and economic growth, climate action, responsible consumption and production, mm-hmm. reduced inequality. So you can really go down that list and start to think about, well, where could customer experience and employee experience have meaningful impact on any of these goals? And I don't mean it's marketing messages. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm familiar with plenty of companies that just see this as they want to stamp that they were using some recycled product on their packaging. And that's not what this is about. It's authentically looking at how do you become a more sustainable and better governed organization. And so so you just have to start to think about where can you have meaningful impact and then socialize, start to socialize ideas with colleagues and influencers to pursue hypotheses and and start Mm. testing and learning. But see if you can find some hooks that influencers and leaders in the organization also think are important so you can get some traction. And there are plenty of companies that are still thinking about this as as messaging opportunities. I think that's going to stop. Those companies will get exposed for greenwashing. But just dig into those SDGs and see where their connections are to your business's priorities. Why do you think maybe it's still a little bit of more of a marketing agenda today versus companies really saying this is a meaningful and important part of this organization. I'm not, I don't want to generalize. There are a lot of companies that do. There are a lot of companies that are Um, doing great work. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think though, that some are still maybe trying to figure it out? Is it just because it's really hard or is it just because they haven't really, they don't have time to think about it and maybe don't have mechanisms internally to think about it? Like what's your kind of perspective there? I think it's sort of all of the above. And I think, look, as I said before, what gets, what gets measured gets done. I think sure. there's a whole question of how do you measure the effectiveness? And actually, in my role as a director at the AICPA, the Accounting Association, yeah. they have played, their leadership have played, been playing a direct role in establishing global standards mm. that organizations like the SEC would take seriously to no, measure, no. have ESG be up there in the scorecard along with the financial performance. That's going to take some time to play out and actually get implemented, but there has been significant progress on that front. There's a group called the International Sustainability Standards Board, the ISSB. So if you want mm-hmm. to know more about what's going on there, just look up the ISSB and you'll see there's, there's traction. So I think that's one issue. I think the other issue it is hard work and it's going to require transformation. And so that's hard. Organizations probably lack the skills and capabilities. It's just like thinking back 20 years ago to when, you know, nobody knew about digital, but they thought it was important. Yeah. It's like, how do you actually get going? 
But you just take an industry like fashion, one of the worst polluters and practitioners of poor sustainability in the world. Just a simple issue. Unused licensed product is uh, companies are contractually obligated to just destroy unused licensed product. So if you license a character from a media brand and you stamp that on your t-shirts or sheets and there are thousands of returns, right now the practice is to destroy all that product. So you take just untangling you start to think about the size of the hairball mm-hmm. to untangle mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. to more sustainable business practices mm-hmm. just in that industry, just on that one issue. Yeah. It, it's, gonna, it, it's complex, and it's going to really take mindset change and behavior change and business model change. It's all mm-hmm. very hard, but you got to do it. Absolutely. I'm excited for, for what's to come on this. I know, again, there are a lot of companies taking this seriously, doing great work around it. When you think about, Amy, the companies that you are, so you're, you're an executive in residence with an organization called Progress Partners. And when you think about some of the things that, and the, or the conversations that you're having, having with these founders, what should founders be thinking about or considering to get past this sort of stage of startup, right? Into growth and into scale around customer or employee experience? What's your perspective there? Right. And that, that's a great question because there are many, many startups that have amazing concepts that they validate in yeah. data and they, they fail because they don't know how to scale. So mm. I think the, the first thing I, I want to make sure they understand is that what works in a beta will not work at scale, right? So for example, a beta, a test situation or an environment where you have maybe a few thousand customers yeah. Things can be messy. You can go back and apologize if things don't work well. You may, be, you may lack automation. You mm. don't know how to handle volume. The team that may have been brilliant at testing and validating may lack the skills required to deliver industrial strength. So there's a mm. whole lot of issues that I counsel them to look at in terms of people, process, and technology, and to challenge themselves having sort of a realistic sense of what needs to change from the way they have operated when they were testing and validating to what has to happen at scale. I mean, the founder may no longer even be the right person. So I just had a conversation interesting with a fintech startup that wants to scale. And I, before the call with them, I went and read all their online reviews. And the reviews, and I know there's lots of issues with the quality and online reviews. And so so it's a a directional data set where you could get some interesting learnings, right? Yeah, Um, for sure. They suggested that there was an inconsistency in delivery that said to Hmm. me, that said to me, like, you've got to look at your delivery processes, which would really be, where problems would really be exacerbated at scale to the point where, in their case, because they were fintech, they could turn into regulatory issues. And sure. in any regulated sector, and obviously having come from financial services, I have a particular interest in, in that sector. But when you move from startup scale, the regulators start to be a lot more interested in what you're doing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so you've, you cannot, you've got to run, you know, in, in that business, in pharma, in many, many businesses where you're affecting health and safety 
and people's livelihoods, you've got to run a zero defect operation. You've hmm. got to really understand your customer experience and your infrastructure, everything about how you operate to make that leap. So that's really what the conversation is about. Interesting. Do you think a lot of startups are are paying a lot of attention to feedback directly from customers or is that sort of a blind spot? Because they're so busy on the product and getting it to a place where they want to be, get it out there as quickly as possible and iterate, et cetera. Do you think that more organizations or, or more startups, I should say, should pay closer attention to sort of the, the multiple signals that are out there? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Or, or, so I see a range. I know of one startup where a routine part of the executive meeting agenda is to read customer letters. They, they are brought into the, and I think that's fantastic. Sure. I've seen other startups where, or smaller companies where the most of the interaction with customers is around trying to sell them something. And yeah. I think you need to create space for the broader conversation about like, how are you doing? What are your bigger challenges? How's it going? And so, and then I've seen, I've seen other companies and, and what's impressive about startup at big enterprises could really learn is startups don't have the budget for fancy market research studies, Yeah, yeah. right? Or to license automated tools necessarily to help them. So they have to be out talking to customers. And I find mm -hmm. the better CEOs are doing that. They're, they're making the round. And so mm -hmm. I think, yeah, you see a range of practices. I would, I'm willing to bet there's a real correlation between the startups that are talking and listening to their customers, not just in a sales call, but really earnestly yeah. and authentically interested in knowing what's going on for them are the ones that, that go the distance. But they, have, mm. they can teach a lot to big companies where, you know, oftentimes there's not enough customer-facing yeah. engagement outside of the sales process. Interesting. Yeah, that's such good advice. I, I do some work with an organization in a similar. I'm not. I'm, I'm not a executive in residence, but I have done some um, mentoring for startups. And one of the things that I've talked to a number of startups about is how are you getting? What mechanisms are you creating? And they don't have to be expensive ones, obviously. But what mechanisms are you creating where that voice of the employee or that voice of the customer is coming into the founder and that inner circle? And they're, and they're creating space to talk about what they're hearing and really eyes wide open kind of conversations too. I have to ask, and by the way, I remember, so as a city, as a longtime city customer, I mean, probably 30 years, I remember actually the, the first kind of digital or, or digital banking effort where I actually had to put a CD into my laptop to get <laughs> the software from city onto the laptop yeah. so I, it can make the connection ultimately. It was, it was so exciting. And I remember doing that. I'm like, wow, this is really, I couldn't, I was like so super just pumped and excited that this was happening. It was just really cool stuff. Magic. Um, I, Magic. It was, right? I mean, it really yeah. was. You were able to like look at your balance and not have to go to the branch. It was pretty cool stuff. And do other things for that matter. As chief innovation officer at City Cards for, I mean, this is over 10 years ago, but in, you've had multiple senior level roles. One of the questions 
I get a lot is how do you influence organizations broadly? We've talked maybe a little bit about that throughout this this conversation, but and maybe you can't share specific stories around what places you've been, it's up, but like, how do you do that? Like, wh- what is your approach for influence at senior levels to drive change? And if, especially in an organization like City, right? I've been at Chase, right? The, the term I always use, it was like trying to turn the Titanic in a kiddie pool sometimes, right? How would you counsel folks in terms of engaging senior, senior executives to, to drive and affect change around the customer? Yeah, and it, it's a great question. And it's funny, yesterday I was in a roundtable where the question was, why do really successful innovation programs get shut down? Hmm. And it was a call with a series. Of, on, on the roundtable were a lot of people who are currently uh, chief experience officers, chief innovation officers type people. And the, the crazy thing is that what you have to do has not changed. You know, the world has become more complicated. There's mm-hmm. a lot more pressure. There's more demands for speed. But, but my counsel, and this is from things I did well and lessons I've learned that I, if I look back, sort of advice to my former self, it starts with building trust relationships with your colleagues, especially the people who are the P&L owners, because they are the people who ultimately will need to support and advocate for and agree to fund and, you know, hang in there for efforts that will Mm -hmm. take time to prove out. I think understanding their pain points and their priorities and make sure that you are testing and learning into the CX areas that will help them meet their priority goals and solve their big problems. The other thing is don't expect everybody to be on board. When yeah. I, I remember when I first joined City, one of the first things I did was to go around and spend an hour with each of my colleagues. There were about 12 of them. And I'd say four, four of them were, wow, really great that somebody is here to fo- at the senior executive level to focus on digital. We need to get moving. A third of them, well, well, this could be important. They were sort of open to the possibility, but sort of show me the money. And then a third of them were like, why do we need to bother? We're doing great. And so don't beat your brains out. You are not going to win everybody over. But what's really important is you want new influencers to really be on board. You want to take their counsel and you want to support their goals. And don't underestimate the need for strong two-way communications. There's communication is part of your job. It's not this extra thing you do on the side. It's a major part of your job. But don't forget that communication is two-way. So it's as much about listening to understand what matters to them, not just Mm. telling. In fact, I'd say Mm. it should be two-thirds listening, one-third telling. So that's my advice. And I think it's going to be enduring advice. It's it's never going to go away as the things that you need to do to make this work succeed in a, in a big enterprise where there are a lot of agendas. Such sage counsel right there. Good advice. And and it's, you're right. It's those things that are core to relationship building and development and creating that trust at the end of the day, that's foundational stuff that gets people ahead, gets your agenda listened to and people saying, okay, I'm here to support and I'm here to act and here's how it can make sense in my business. So let's work together. Amy, I've got two more questions for you. 
who are the sure. leaders you look up to? And I'm, I'm personally curious to learn this. And I think our mm-hmm. listeners after this conversation will be interested in, in learning about too, is who are the leaders that you look up to? Yeah. So there are a lot of people in, in, in my career help me and who I've learned from either directly or just by watching them. So I could go on and on with a, with a big list, but one person, the, the thing that's most important for, to me in a leader is honesty, integrity, willingness mm. to stand up to their beliefs and who really care about their people and their customers as mm. human beings, mm. not just as enablers of their business results. So people who really lead with, with humanity. So someone I've known more recently from afar, but for a very long time, who I put very high on that list is, is Ken Chenault, who was who I saw rise in the ranks from being, you know, an inside office mm. guy at American Express to to the CEO, CEO. and I got yeah. to work, you know, with him for a long time. The thing that I put out about Ken and why I think he's so amazing is he's he's someone who really does walk the talk and could have made different choices. Mm. So he always had time for people, irrespective of their level. I mean, it's a guy who, even when he was CEO, stopped to say hi to the people vacuuming the lobby. And when he came into American Express Tower, and and these days, who last year did not stand for re-election on the board of Facebook, mm. over reportedly over disagreements with Zuckerberg over, and so I would you know read into that that he saw what was happening, and that that was not his cup of tea to be part of of what's going on there. And there's a lot of controversy now about Facebook slash Meta. Yeah, um, sure. And he's dedicated himself now to addressing racism and diversity issues as part of and in addition to his business pursuits. So using his role as a private equity executive now as leverage, but also outside of his, his day job is also speaking out. And so... I just think he's, he recognizes that he can have an impact, but he was always this way throughout his career. And, and so I think that's really, he's, he's a really exceptional person. I agree. So I was with Amex during the, in a short time, for a short time during the Kenshinol days, and he came into the elevator. We're the only two in the elevator. And I'm a young professional. I'm literally just shaking my shoes like, here's the CEO. And he reaches <laughs> out his hand and he says, hi, I'm Kenshinol. What's your name? Right. I mean, it blew my mind. And I'm like, my name is Bill Stakos. He's like, well, where do you work? In this very nice kind of soft tone and and gentle way. And describe, he's like, he goes, this is, he goes, what you're doing is so important. And here's why. And I was like, the CEO knows what I do. And he just connected it with the importance of the entire company. But you're right. He did that with everybody. There have been other CEOs that I've sat next to on a plane, have shared an elevator ride with. Not one of them has done that since. So I absolutely, yeah. Totally agree with you on Ken. And everybody called him Ken in the company. No one called you, right? Like that oh, was, yeah. you know, so yeah. um, such a he's great role Ken. model. For and so with Bionic many. Network, yeah, when is. people bring up Ken, everybody knows who we're talking about. Everybody knows. Everybody was, knows. Yeah. So, he's yeah. an amazing individual. Uh, before we wrap up, one more question. Where do you go for inspiration, Amy? So, uh, so definitely my three children. We have two, two adult children and a teenager. They keep me young. Their views of the world and how they live their lives are so different. I feel like I'm constantly living in a, in a focus group, but I have just conversations okay. about everything. I, my network, I'm really blessed to have uh, met 
and developed relationships with so many people and so many diverse people that sometimes I'll just reach out to have a one-to-one conversation with people I admire to find out, like, what are they up to? What are they thinking about? And it always amazes me, especially now, what people are accomplishing. And it really gives me a boost, especially on my, we all have our down days, right? It really gives me a boost and give me new ideas. I mean, meeting you has been that opportunity. When the weather's good, go to the beach, get out of (laughs) anything that gets me out of my environment, which with COVID has been particularly difficult, but just get out, go for a walk, simple, simple things. Anything that lets me clear my head is a, is a pathway to inspiration. So now I've got to ask, what's your favorite beach? Uh, Jersey Shore, please. I live in New Jersey. So I'm... I'm a Manasquan kid, spring, right? Spring like, Lake. Spring, I'm spring Lake's spring beautiful. Lake You're a spring Lake. Spring Lake is gorgeous, and it's a beautiful beach. My yeah. my in-laws had a house on Manasquan for for a number of number of years. Yeah, Manasquan's um, nice. San, yeah, Sandy did t- decided to change a lot of that for them, unfortunately. But Manasquan and the, and the Jersey Shore has a very special place in my heart. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's one one of the good things about living in New Jersey is the Jersey Shore. Absolutely. So hopefully, hopefully it'll be uh, protected. Because it's definitely it's under threat. Yeah, it certainly is, um, Amy. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I know that our listeners will. Insanely important topics we've covered today. Thank you again for your time, for the gift of your time, and hope to have you another time. And, and I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation now that we know each other. I hope this isn't our, our last convo. I don't think it's going to be, but I'm looking forward to the next one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me. This has been uh, very thought provoking for me as well. Thank you. Cool. All right, everybody. Another great show. We're out. Talk to you soon, everyone. Thanks for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.